Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by SilverScreenAndRoll.com, a Los Angeles Lakers community. I am Christian Rivas, joined by Jacob Rood. Jacob, a lot has happened since the last time we spoke, but the big news of the day that we're recording uh, Sunday is that Gasol is coming back to the Lakers. (laughs) Now, which one will depend on... Uh, what the Lakers do over the next few days. Obviously, both of them would be nice. Uh, But, of course, today we are talking about Mark Gasol, who I just think is a fantastic fit with this team. Like, I understand that he wasn't – he didn't look like the best version of himself when the season restarted. But, I mean, the guy's 35 years old, uh, and we probably didn't – take the time he needed to get his body right uh prior to that he was still a productive regular season center which is really all you need when you have anthony davis on the team um before we get into all that jacob i'm gonna ask you how you're doing i think i know the answer i'm doing great man it has been a it's been a fun week five days basically since the since the draft i guess a little before that so really the last week I mean, last week when you and I talked, it was right on the uh, precipice of kind of everything going wild on Monday. Drew Holiday traded, stuff like that. So, as an NBA fan, it's been it's fun to have transaction season back, um, and it's especially fun when the Lakers are right in the middle of it because. This is obviously a Lakers podcast, so this is probably pretty biased. I don't think anybody's had as good of a off season as the Lakers have had. Whatever that's worth, I mean, it doesn't win you a ring. Ask the Clippers, but yeah, it it matters in some degree. It it, it will put the Lakers in a great position moving forward. And but man, uh, shout out to Rob Palinka. Like he is aggressive. We talked about the kind of pros and cons of running it back and whether they should ultimately they're going to have, if they bring Keith back, which seems up in the air, they'll have about, I think eight guys back from last year's team. Um, So it really, I don't think that (laughs) that's half the team gone. I don't think that really counts as running it back, but he was aggressive. He didn't settle. And I think, I mean, I, I have a, a sheet up, but we'll discuss probably each person in detail. But I think every signing we've made has been an imp- an improvement over the person they replace. So, like, yeah. what a great off season! Yeah, I I think you would have to make you you'd have to do a lot to make a case for a team having a better offseason than the Lakers. Um, I think the Bucks and Clippers have had pretty good offseasons. The Clippers offseason was kind of saved by them landing Serge Ibaka at the last minute there. Prior to that, it was disastrous. And you can say the same about the Bucks um, and the I way they the handled Bucks them. the Bucks have had a bad offseason. Well, okay. 
with the way they handled the Bogdan Bogdanovich situation, um, obviously they didn't start the the free agency window the way they wanted to the off season window because I mean they were as the NBA will soon find out talking to teams well before free agency started. Mm-hmm. Um, but ironically, I feel like that trade falling through actually kind of helped them bolster their depth more than bringing in just Bogdan, Bogdanovich did. Um, they signed Tory Craig, who I think will be pretty good for them. Uh, Bryn Forbes, I've been a big fan of for a little while. And then DJ Augustine, I think, are all solid pieces for them. That being said... I was going to say, with all due respect to the yes. Bucks, I don't want to talk about the Bucks. <laughs> that is nowhere near the types of type of upgrades the Lakers have made this offseason. Let's start from the top, because I think that's the easiest way to do it. Before the draft, the Lakers agreed to terms to trade... Dennis Schroeder, or to trade Danny Green uh, in the 28th pick in the draft to the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Dennis Schroeder, who finished as the runner-up in the six-man-of-the-year race last year. Last season, when the Lakers waived DeMarcus Cousins, and even when they waived Troy Daniels to an extent, there was a need for a guard that offered something completely different from Rondo and Avery Bradley, somebody that can create their own shot, come off the bench and get hot in a hurry. Their response to that was signing Dion waiters who looked good in the, you know, exhibition games in the bubble, if you will. Uh, and it looked like he was going to have a role in the playoffs. That didn't end up being the case. I'd be surprised to see him back. Um, They were able to survive not having that type of guard by having playoff Rondo, Mm -hmm. um, who is just incredible. I mean, we can't say enough about Rondo, who, as we know now, will be playing for the Atlanta Hawks next season. I wish the best of luck to him. I wish the best of luck to Dwight Howard, who will be playing with the Philadelphia 76ers, despite him. (laughs) Not before (laughs) one last classic Dwight moment. That was absolute (laughs) hilarity. Um. But now the Lakers are getting somebody that can offer playoff Rondo-like production on a consistent basis. And then anybody that watched Rondo in the playoffs, uh, you know, can attest that that is a pretty good, damn good player to have on your, on your team. Yeah. I mean, you saw when Rondo had it going in the playoffs, uh, he started off really strong. It was kind of stop and go toward the end of the playoffs, but when he really had it going, I mean, that team looked damn near unbeatable. Um, And I haven't looked at a ton of Schroeder's film yet. There's been so much of this happened in the last uh, uh, two, three, four days um, that I haven't had a ton of time to. But uh, it was – it seems like Schroeder, as you said, is – all of the good that came with playoff Rondo and not quite as much as the bad. Um, the, he isn't, he isn't a great defender. Um, but I mean, really neither was Rondo. Rondo was just kind of smart. Um, 
<clears throat> but the offense is far more consistent. Uh, he was a he had, a, I believe, a career year shooting the ball from three last season, um, and he provides that ball handling, that playmaking, that shot creation that allows LeBron to play off the ball. And we, again, saw how important that was in the playoffs. So a really smart, savvy move from uh, Palinka, which I'm going to say that many times because I'm blown away by how good he's been um, at maneuvering this offseason. But to get – I know Schroeder's on a, in a contract year. To get a – and upgrade that big um, for the price of just Danny Green when they probably knew that Wes Matthews was coming too, um, which probably made them a little more willing to, to part with Danny Green. That's a, that's a huge pickup. Um, I mean, it, just think back to what seems like three years ago when we were recording Darren Goff. Collison and all the points that were made then and how important he was going to be and all that applies to Dennis Schroeder so yeah last season he was a 39% three-point shooter which was far and away his best season Um, 53% on corner threes last year according to cleaning the glass Uh, and we'll talk about Wes Matthews but he's another guy that buries corner threes so uh, a bit of a – it's going to be nice to have some guys this season that LeBron can kick out to in those corners, and you know it's absolute money. Yeah, we're getting a little ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves because we – so the, my initial reaction to the, the Schroeder deal was, and I think believe we got the opportunity to, to talk about this uh, already, was you're trading a little bit of what Danny Green – brought on offense or brought on defense for what Schroeder brings on offense. Um, And that was a big concern for me because obviously the Lakers hung their hat on the defensive end. The types of players the Lakers are expected to see in the playoffs, even next season are, you know, guards that are really, really talented. Assuming Steph Curry stays healthy, assuming Russell Westbrook and James Harden stay in Houston, which seems like the, like the likely scenario now, which is insane. Um, so ready. Do hard knocks, <laughs> but with the Rockets, please. Uh, you got Damon CJ in, in Portland and Jamal Murray in Denver, uh, depending on what you classify Luca as, you know, it, the point is perimeter defense has never been as important as it is in the Western conference as it is now. So, Obviously, Alex Caruso is somebody that can keep you afloat on that end. And you can, I, I mean, I can say confidently that he's a really good perimeter defender, can probably guard the other team's uh, other best guard. But you need somebody that can replace Danny Green's defensive production if you're bringing in somebody like Dennis Schroeder. For the money they had to give out, and I'd even go as far as to say in general, the Lakers could have not found a better Danny Green replacement than Wesley Matthews. He's a few inches shorter, um, but his wingspan is only an inch shorter than Danny Green's. He is perfectly capable of checking wings and even bigger wings. I was watching some tape on him uh, guarding LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and, and even Jimmy Butler uh, in, in this past playoffs. 
he is not afraid of, of taking that assignment. And with all due respect to Contavious Caldwell Pope, who uh, will be back as, as we now know, I didn't feel the same way about KCP just because of how slight he is. And, and, you know, he doesn't have an extraordinary wingspan. I, I like the Schroeder trade so much more now that I know that Wesley Matthews will, will be an option. I'm guessing in that starting lineup. Yeah. It, as you said, I just think flat out, there probably wasn't a better replacement for Danny green than Wes Matthews. Um, his offense was a little bit down last season, but as you said, I, I think he's going to be particularly important defensively. Uh, last year on the Bucks, he had a 98.3 defensive rating, which was second on the team to only Giannis, who's the defensive player of the year. So if you're going to be second to somebody, I guess it can be the defensive player of the year. <laughs> um, he, we talked a lot last year. It was mentioned a lot last year. Uh, going up against the Kawhis, the PGs, those guys that we didn't really have anybody that could match up with them. I mean, we, I still have nightmares of that opening night game where Kawhi was just shooting over top of um, KCP repeatedly. Um, I mean, Wes Matthews is only 6'4", but he has a bigger wingspan and just kind of a bigger frame. Right. Um, that he's able to take that challenge and not just get shot over repeatedly. Um, so, and I, I think he's also probably a bit better of a point of attack defender. That was a big weakness for Danny Green last season. Um, Danny Green was incredible as like a team defender, help defender, but one-on-one um, he struggled. I don't think that'll be as much the case this season with Wes Matthews. Um, he was still an 80th percentile, according to Synergy, spot-up shooter. Um, on unguard, or on catch-and-shoots, he shot 38%. Um, he's still – I mean, that's that's going to be his role. That's what Danny Green's role was. Um, and he was still really good at it uh, last season. So, um, And as I said, he – he struggled a bit last season, but he was still a 41% three-point shooter on corner shots or corner threes, um, which was a, which was down for him a bit. But nonetheless, um, he does a lot of the things that Danny Green did, and he is, I don't know the exact number, $13, $14 million less. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I, I don't know how Rob did it. And then to blow the whole thing up, that same night, <laughs> I got – so here, here is what happened with me. I was at my girlfriend's house. We were watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix because we heard nothing but good things about it from people on Twitter. Uh, I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, and I get a text from my friend Ryan saying, just Trez in all caps with, with exclamation points. And I'm like, oh, my God. The Clippers lost Montrez Harrell for nothing. This is hilarious. I look at my phone and I see that Montrez Harrell has signed with the Lakers. And I was like, huh, how did they manage that? And it turns out he signed a two-year deal for the full mid-level exception. And I, I was stunned. Like, obviously, your immediate reactions are, okay, Trez just had the worst, like, performance a player on a contract year 
in, in the bubble could have. Like, he probably lost as much money as a player can lose in the bubble that a player can. There's a reason he signed for the mid-level exception and not, you know, a, a monster contract with another team. Uh, I know it's not as simple as that. We'll get into that. Um, but I, I would like to know your immediate reaction to the news. Uh, to keep it PG-13, holy crap. Um, I did not in a million years remotely expect Trez to be an option that was available or that the Lakers would consider. I don't think I ever looked up anything about him. Like, I knew who he was as a player, but I didn't do any kind of research. I don't think we ever mentioned his name on this podcast. I don't think I heard him mentioned by any Laker fan on any podcast. Um, I, I was hesitant about using the mid-level on a big, but the more I thought about it, the more this feels like good value. But in the moment, I was so stunned that it happened that that's all I could think about was, holy crap, we got Trez. Like, there's all the... If you follow Clipper fans, a lot of them were happy to see Trez gone. He seemed to be the scapegoat for a lot of their problems in the playoffs last year, Um, even if he wasn't the one shooting threes off the side of the backboard. Uh, It seemed more like he was a victim of Doc refusing to adjust, which has always been a problem with him. And he was kind of the guy that he wouldn't move off of. So because of that, Everything looked bad. Um, I think Trez is going to be awesome with the Lakers. I trust Vogel to use him way better than what Doc did. I trust him. It's You mentioned it's a two-year deal. The second year is a player option. So basically you use him how you plan on using him, and if he doesn't like that, he opts out next season and you have the mid-level again. Um so it's a low-risk, high-reward signing, I think. And I still kind of can't believe it. Like, I immediately started go, went and started watching just video of him on the pick-and-roll. Yeah. Oh, and, my Lord. <laughs> and he is, he is incredible. He is going to get so many dunks from LeBron, from Schroeder, um, from all those guys. He has – and he's going to create so much gravity on those roles. Like it, it is going to be awesome to watch him in the pick and roll next season. Yeah. I, I mean, the same as you, I, we had talked about it on this podcast a few times. I did not want to use the full mid-level exception on a center unless it was for like Sergi Baca, uh, who the Clippers ended up getting. And like I said, probably saved their off season w- with that signing alone. Um, I had my concerns about Trez, but that being said, for that value, that's just a deal you cannot pass up. Like, whether you're going to play him 30 minutes a game like the Clippers did last season or use him in a smaller role, or, and I know you're going to get wheezy me just saying this, like immediately, he hasn't even signed his contract yet as a trade asset at the deadline. Like, on that contract, he is, like, by definition, a trade asset. You have an I, addiction. I do, yeah, a little bit. The point is, that's incredible value for the Lakers yes. to get in free agency. 
And I think the reason I'm most optimistic is Montrez Harrell isn't going to be competing for minutes with Ivica Zubac. Mm-hmm. He's going to be competing for minutes with Anthony Davis. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And you can even play him alongside Anthony Davis. And playing him alongside Anthony Davis, you hide a lot of his weaknesses. You have a center who can space the floor a bit, as we saw with Anthony Davis in the playoffs. I would be stunned if 80s shooting percentages followed him into the regular season. If he It'd is. It'd be cool if they did, though. Yeah. <laughs> Just ride him in as the MVP right now. Uh, place your bets if you can. But uh, no, I I am I am aware of the weaknesses Montrez Harrell has. I am also aware of the strengths that the Lakers have, and I think those strengths will ultimately outweigh Montrez Harrell's weaknesses if and only if he's used properly. Uh, and I have a little more confidence in, in Frank using him properly. The I mean, it's kind of the point you made, but. The Lakers are not going to rely on Trez the way the Clippers did. Um, ultimately, he was the guy that they closed every game with at center. There was also the weird – his rotation minutes were really weird, and there were a lot of nights where he would just play like a 18-minute stint in the second half from like middle of the third quarter through the end of the game. Um, just a lot of, a lot of weird things Doc did with him last year. And um, he, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I mean, he almost always was in the game at the end of the third through the start of the fourth. And then there were a lot of nights where Doc would just ride him out through the rest of the game. Um, You're not going to, like we saw last year with the Lakers, and that seems to be based on how they're building the roster, seems to be their approach this year is if you have it, you finish the game. If you don't, you don't. And Vogel was always flexible with that. It was typically with the guards and kind of the wing players, whether it was Caruso, Rondo, Danny, Avery, all those guys, whoever was going that night closed the game and the other guys didn't. That's going to be the same with Trez. Like if he has it going, then yeah, Trez and AD will be an awesome front court because as you said, Trez doesn't have to be the rim protector. AD can be that guy. And AD can be the floor spacer to open up lanes for Trez to run the pick and roll. And I think there's going to be a lot of LeBron-Trez pick and rolls this year. Um, But if there's nights where he just doesn't have it, then you sub him out. You maybe close with Marc Gasol, or you put LeBron and AD at the four and five, and you put some shooting around them like we saw last year. That was the big thing to me is that this team won't rely on Trez as much as the Clippers did because the Clippers really didn't have another option if Trez didn't have it going. I mean, they did in Zubots, but Doc wouldn't play him. Um, this team has other options, which both is, is good in terms of if he doesn't bring it, we have other options, but it also creates competition that he has to bring it every night. Right. Um, so, yeah, overall – I think this will be a really good signing. And this is kind of an all-encompassing point, but in a season that's going to be as packed in as this one will be, the Lakers have gotten a ton of depth. And having that much depth is going to be important, especially I think there might be some more 
load management with LeBron and AD. Um, so to have a, I don't know their exact age. It's like a 20, I think Trez is 28 and uh, Schroeder is 27. Having two guys just firmly in their athletic prime like that, that can just run pick and rolls all the time. Like there's a lot of value in just having that and not having as much of the offensive burden on AD and LeBron next season. Yeah. So Trez is actually 26. And oh, Dennis nice. is 27. Yeah, uh, I knew they were one year apart, but yeah, that's even better. What I think the the when you're talking about Schroeder and Harold together, which I think is a good thing because I think they are going to play off of the bench. I think Dennis Dennis Schroeder has the talent to start. I think KCP and Wesley Matthews allows the Lakers to play more similarly to how they played in the regular season with Avery Bradley and Danny Green and in the postseason with with KCP and Danny Green. I could be wrong. Maybe LeBron really, really likes Dennis Schroeder and wants to play with him, but that's just how I see things right now. Yeah. Regardless of where they play, they're going to play a lot of minutes. And I think that's especially true because of the points you mentioned about LeBron James and Anthony Davis load managing. Um either literally or just not playing as many minutes as they would during a regular season campaign. Having guys you know can give you around 20 points per game in a big role is a significant thing in a season like this. Like, we're not just talking about a a guy that can come in and be an energy guy off the bench and, and a floor raiser. We're talking about people that can pour on points in big minutes and have proven to do so as soon as last season. That is a tremendous get for them. And I, uh, not enough can be said about the job Rob Palenka's done uh, in free agency. And just when I thought he was done, the Lakers were done making splashy trades. I had lost all hope because they were operating under the, the hard cap and, and dealing with nothing but veterans minimums. Because you have Harold with the mid, full mid-level exception and Wesley Matthews with the biennial exception. Using either one of them one of those would hard cap a team. Lakers use both. Um, there wasn't a lot for the Lakers to work with. Rob Palenka made the most of it. And when we get back, we'll talk about what he did. As far as the Montrez Harrell signing, I think you and I are on the same page. It, it was too good of a deal for them to pass up. Uh, but when you look at Montrez Harrell relative to Dwight Howard, the thing that stands out is Montrose Harrell is seven feet and not the same type of defensive player as Dwight Howard. Obviously, the big draw with Dwight Howard, particularly in the postseason against Nikola Jokic, was he is a big guy that can play post-defense. And I think as much as the league is trending towards guys more in the mold of Montrose Harrell, you still need somebody like Dwight Howard in those matchups. Obviously, the Philadelphia 76ers felt the same way because they signed him to back up Joel Embiid. Um, I don't know if I agree with their line I'm thinking there, but mm-hmm. I'm always happy to see uh, Dwight Howard on a contender. So well, a- as soon as I got over the initial like shock factor of the Montrezl Harrell signing, my mind immediately went to, okay, well, how do you actually replace Dwight? Because if you're talking like for like, this isn't a Dwight replacement the way Wesley Matthews is for Danny Green. My mind immediately went, 
to Mark Gasol. The tweet I sent out after that, after the Montrezl Harrell signing, was literally, what is Mark Gasol up to you? Um, <laughs> turns out, he was very interested in coming back to L.A., uh, and he immediately emerged as a suitor for the Lakers to replace Dwight Howard, even though JaVale McGee was technically on the roster still. Like, at the time of the Montrezl Harrell signing, the Lakers had JaVale McGee and Montrezl Harrell at the roster, and with Anthony Davis at the four, you could get away with that being your center rotation. I still wanted Marc Gasol. Marc Gasol still wanted to be here, and by some divine miracle, the Lakers made a trade that sent JaVale McGee and a second-round pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers in exchange for Alfonso McKinney and Jordan Bell, uh, who are on non-guaranteed contracts that will be turned into partially guaranteed contracts with the Lakers, allowing them to not only offer Marcus Gasol a veteran's minimum contract, which they would have been able to do uh, even with JaVale McGee on the roster, but they were able to offer him a two-year veterans, a veteran minimums contract uh, for a, a to, to count against the cap for $2.6 million. That's significant. What the, the, where the trade comes in and becomes really significant is with that trade, you can offer Marcus all that contract and also fill out the roster with veterans minimum contracts. If you kept JaVale's contract on the books uh, and didn't have those non-guaranteed contracts from Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney, you're looking at very little cap space and likely filling out the end of the roster with rookie contracts. It was, it was going to be tight. Rapalinka again, working his magic. I cannot say enough about him. Uh, what I can say a lot about is Marcus All. Again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I think the reason Marcus All was available for what he was available for had a lot to do with the recency bias of what people saw in the bubble from him. Uh, he's obviously up there in age, will be 36 years old in January. Uh, but in the regular season, before, before the season stopped, I still think he looked really productive. I fully expect the same thing in, in the 2020-21 campaign. And I think the thing that stands out to me the most beyond his shooting percentages uh, in, his, in his two years with the Toronto Raptors he shot 44.2% from the field, including 40% from three-point range on 2.9 attempts per game, which is awesome. That's the exact type of center you want next to Anthony Davis in the starting lineup. Uh, but even more than that, Marcus Stahl is still a really, really, really good defender. Yeah, the offensive numbers aren't great. Um, maybe it was a system... Not entirely sure. I didn't watch a ton of the Raptors. I know he was hurt a bit last season as well. Um, I think he only played about 40 games. And as you said, he didn't look great in the bubble. Um, he is still borderline elite defensively, I would say. Um, if you look at Synergy, I, I tweeted out a couple stats. Synergy's defensive numbers are pretty wonky. Um it's more of a general sense. You can't really, I wouldn't say put a whole lot of stock into this, but he is a 91st percentile defender. Um, and a couple of those caveats or those specifics, he's a 79th, he was 79th percentile 
defending ball handlers in the pick and roll. And he was the 88th percentile in single high pick and rolls. Um, he's, he's just a really smart defender. A lot how we saw Dwight last year. I mean, he was still physically really talented, but he wasn't quite what he used to be. And he was just smart about things, getting position, um, keeping his feet right, you know, various things like that to where he could use what advantages he still had. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that with Mark. Um, He may not be able to get up quite as much to block shots, not quite as fast, but he's still smart, can keep guys in front of him, things like that. To me, the thing that jumped out, I tweeted out the defensive stats first. Then I went and looked at uh, cleaning the glass, and Alex Regula tweeted this as well. Over the last nine seasons, uh, Mark Gasol has not ranked below the 92nd percentile in assist percentage for big men. Crazy. Just nuts. He, he is – while his defense is kind of still borderline – how good it is it's still really good absolutely an elite passer um which opens up a lot more types of actions the lakers can run this season you didn't really see i remember a lot when luke was here that there were a lot of actions where the center was standing at the top of the key waiting on guys moving around him you didn't see that much last year obviously because lebron and ad had the ball a bunch Um, I don't know that you'll specifically see that as much this year, but you will see elite passing from Mark Gasol this year. Um, It'll allow the Lakers to do some – I would think he'll probably start, and it'll allow them to do some high-low stuff with him and AD, um, things like that, and some pick-and-pop or some short-roll scenarios. He'll be able to to make the right reads and whatnot. So – and men, I mean, mentioning pick and pop, even if his numbers were down last season, he is a three-point threat, um, which the Lakers didn't really have out of a center. They had it in Keefe. He wasn't really a center. Um, his, I mean, even in a down year last year, he was 38% from three, um, which for the Lakers would have been good. So, I mean, if he shoots 38% from three again, the Lakers will take that. But um, I don't know how much he – he only played 26 minutes a game last year. I'd be surprised if he hit that mark again this year. Yeah. But for 20, 25 minutes a night, he's going to be really, really good for this team. And as you mentioned, when we get in the playoffs and it's entirely matchup-based – He's going to be – there might be a series where Dwight was super important in that Denver series. There might – I mean, if we play Denver again, he's Mark is going to be important. But uh, he's also – I think he can replace – a lot of the guys talked about how important Rondo was and just being a veteran out there explaining things. I think right. he can replace that a bit too because he's been around for so long. I mean, former defensive player of the year, I believe – um he's been on all defense teams all nba teams um so in a lot of ways a lot like what rondo was uh and i think that'll be um really yeah he was all nba first team defensive player of the year um so yeah they 
This was, I had written down last night, kind of in preparation for this, I was going to look some things up. I wrote down who the Lakers were bringing back, who they had acquired this offseason, and who I wanted them to acquire, like spot for spot. Right. And I put down Mark Gasol because it just seems like a perfect fit. And I am super excited that he is going to be back next season. I, I yeah, I'm over the moon about this signing. Um, and, and every signing the Lakers have made in free agency. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to tell where they go from here because again, they are limited to, to veterans minimum contracts. Um, and they're pretty deep at every position. I mean, you look at their front court rotation right now before they make any other signings. You're looking at Anthony Davis, Marcus Gasol, Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, uh, and LeBron James can play a little bit of the four spot. That is disgusting. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is just filthy. Uh, and then in the backcourt, you have Wesley Matthews, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Alex Caruso, Dennis Schroeder, and Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, that that's just and that's an incredibly deep team. And and looking at their roster, I think their two biggest needs going forward are probably shooting and wing defense. Wing defense is something we've been harping on since last season. And Kyle Kuzma was a nice placeholder there. If the Lakers don't bring back Markeith Morris, which really only happens if he wants that 20% raise using the non-bird rights. You need Kyle Kuzma to play the four. That's where, that's where he's going to get the bulk of his minutes. Uh, I'd like Markeith back, and I think Kyle Kuzma, again, would be a serviceable uh, three. But I, I, I'm also interested to see what other guys they take a look at at that three spot. Uh, or even as a like a third string shooting guard, somebody that can knock down three pointers or three pointers at a really high clip, like a Kyle Korver. He is one of the names I wrote down. The problem is um, there aren't a lot of good threes or kind of wing players available. Yeah. And you pretty much have to pick either three or D you're not getting three <laughs> and D now. Yeah. So you got to kind of piece it together through a couple guys Corver is the name I wrote down. Um, and then on the flip side, the three or D, the D part would be Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who absolutely cannot shoot, but is a very good defender still. Um, and kind of in the same vein, I think Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is still a free agent. Um, those are kind of the extremes of not being able to, to shoot, uh, though – yeah, Kid Gilchrist. He's tried more threes, but he's not good at them. Um, but yeah, the names are. It's a thinning group that is um, at this point pretty, pretty barren. Um, like I said, Corver's a name I put down. Um, other than that, like I think the team might need another guard. Um, basically to kind of replace the Quinn Cook spot. Um, Quinn didn't play a ton, but he had a couple moments where he came up pretty big for the team. Um, 
I remember that Chicago uh, game, Bulls game in Chicago. Uh, he was pretty important. So um, maybe uh, a Langston Galloway, a hilariously, I don't want him, but Reggie Jackson's technically a free agent still. <laughs> You know who uh, uh, LeBron's favorite point guard in the 2014 NBA draft was? I have him down. I have the two names I wrote down were Shabazz Napier <laughs> and Frank Jackson. Uh, Shabazz Napier, that would be hilarious coming full circle because I don't think they ever actually played together. Um, yeah, they, and then, they just miss each other. Yeah, and then the last one would be Glenn Robinson the third. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with each of those guys, you have a pretty big flaw on one end of the court. Like, I'm not – Corver's still probably – I mean, I think he's still – I would assume he shot well from three last year. But, like, he's not – he's only going to give you, like, ten minutes total. Like, he's going to be able to go, like, one really hard stint, and that'll be about it. Um, he played 15 minutes a game last season for the Bucks. Um he has history with LeBron. God, his 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 stats are just otherworldly. Yeah. His down his down year last year was a forty three percent corner three point shooter. Um, but I mean, yeah, I Corver's probably the best shooter left on the board. But like I said, it that would be kind of a Troy Daniels role where you need a couple threes. Um, or you're playing a zone or something like that, um, which is fine. Again, Troy Daniels had a couple games where he uh, he came in and, and contributed. So um, the I think at this point though, you're you're taking flyers on a couple on on some guys. Um, these guys probably aren't going to contribute too much. Nicholas Batum's another name I've seen people mention if he ends up being stretched and waived by Charlotte. I'm not crazy about him. I think he's pretty washed. Um, but at this point, maybe if you're – I mean, we're talking 12, 11th, 12th, 13th man on the roster. Maybe he's worth a flyer. Um, but, I mean, I think you mentioned this earlier. This team is deep. Yeah. Like, this team legitimately is going to go 10 deep. Um, and, again, I mention this because we've seen it in other sports. Having depth is going to be very important this year. And the fact the Lakers can conceivably go 10 deep, depending on what other moves they may make, um, that's massive. I think that they may hold on to Alfonso McKinney. Because he he's the defense part of that three and D again another guy who can't shoot his contract's not guaranteed anyway. Um, well, it'll be partially guaranteed. Um, so it's kind of a why not thing. I don't know that there are many other wings available. He has the size for it, but again, and I want to keep saying it because <laughs> this is. This was an incredible offseason, an incredible three days. Well, including the Schroeder trade. So, yeah, an incredible offseason for Rob Palenka. Um, as many pointed out, just incredible work from a guy who doesn't know the salary cap or the CBA. Uh, yeah, I 
I don't know what is to come for the Lakers for the remainder of the offseason. They have five roster spots to fill. I imagine one of the go, one of those will go to Jared Dudley. I hope one of those goes to Powell just because I would like him please, back with the team. Please <laughs> do it. Um, I don't know how healthy he is, but I mean. I don't care. Yeah, anybody that they sign at this point isn't going to play much anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what's to come next, but I can say that I have absolute confidence in the front office to get something done, work something out. The funniest scenario to me would be, would be Rob getting something for Jordan Bell because of the one season he had with the Warriors, like <laughs> some team giving us a second round pick. That would be at that point, I think they'd have to find Rob Palinka just because um, he's doing something illegal. He has blackmail on people, something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the, for the season to get going. Uh, we have time for maybe one or two questions that we got on Twitter. So I will, go to those really quick um uh at jack trav 16 asks how much will the shortened offseason affect the chemistry in this team it's actually interesting um and that was i think probably the strongest argument for running it back um is how well the team bonded i mean that being said i was actually looking at it last night um when i was kind of putting this sheet together by the I know it was game six of the finals everything's on the line there were six guys on the roster last year who you basically could not put into the game right um so the fact that they've been able to to turn a bunch of those spots into actual players is is great but a lot of those guys I mean your Quinn Cooks your JRs your JaVales were great chemistry guys um so I don't know. It'll be, I mean, you, you kind of still have a core coming back. LeBron, AD, Kuzma, Dudley, KCP, Caruso. Um, Trez has familiarity with all the clutch guys. So I don't think that'll be a problem. Um, Gasol's a veteran. I I don't think that'll be an issue. I mean, Wes Matthews came here on the minimum. Um, He's, I don't see that being an issue. So, I mean, I think the Lakers have kind of established a a bit of a culture. Um, And when a lot of these guys are effectively taking pay cuts to come here, you would assume that there won't be any chemistry issues. So, I mean, um, it might, it might affect them. I I'd be surprised because a lot of these guys know each other and there's still a connection there. It's an, we, we turned, there was a lot of roster turnover, but it was still a lot of guys that they're familiar with. Yeah. I, I mean, my solution is just to add Pow and have the most wholesome team in NBA history with Mark and Pow. Uh, but, you know, that how is out of my hands. Would, how quickly <laughs> would you buy a Gasol 16? I'd buy both. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't, I saw a lot of people saying if Pow doesn't come back that Mark should just take number 16. Yeah. Um, either way, yeah. I, <laughs> please, I, wa- I want to buy a Gasol jersey, a Lakers Gasol jersey in 2020. Uh, and then last one, quick answer for this one. Uh, who is your starting backcourt? Uh, uh, we were having this discussion, man, probably KCP and Wes. Yeah, I think so too. I think Alex Caruso can probably make a case in training camp, but I think ultimately it'll be uh, KCP and Wes. That is our show for this week. Thank you guys all for listening. 
Uh, hopefully we have a whole bunch of other free agency goodness to talk about next week. Uh, but for now, it's hard not to be impressed with what Rob's done, what the roster will be next season. Uh, we will, we will check back on you guys next week. Uh, take care.